Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you guys. Thanks for being here as we continue a series we started a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, uh, The Three Enemies of Your Soul. We started off this entire series looking at this teaching of Jesus that he explains that we are in a battle, we are in a war every single day. And it's not a physical war with guns and bombs. It's not a political war. It rather is a spiritual war between truth and lies. Every day, we have a battle going on within us and around us over truth and lies. And Jesus was very clear that these lies, these deceptions that we are all tempted to give into have their origin point at one place. And he called that place the devil. It was a personal, dark, evil force in this world that is working to destroy God's people, all people, really, in society and individually. And he says, you need to be aware of this. This is an enemy that you need to be aware of. And he, if we could kind of summarize it in a statement, he said it this way, or kind of taught this, this truth, that this spiritual battle, this war, is to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies with the weapon of the truth. And Jesus even says in the trial with the governor Pilate, Roman governor Pilate, on the night before he was crucified, whenever he asked him, so you are a king? Did you, you have a kingdom? And he says, for this reason that I have come, that I might come to proclaim the truth. I have come to share the truth. I want everybody to know the truth about this universe, this world that they live in, that what is actually the reality that they can believe that will not move on them because there are a lot of false assumptions about the world. And Jesus came to say, let me show you what is true about the Father, about you, about that relationship, how you relate to one another, how you were created, how you were wired, and how this body, this mind, this everything works. This was what he came to do. Now today we're going to shift our focus from that enemy of the devil. We're going to kind of show how these are related. But first let me just introduce the second, second enemy of the soul, the flesh. The flesh, okay? So here's how I'd like to introduce or get you to think about this new enemy of the soul. Have you ever heard or thought about this phrase, the heart wants what the heart wants? Anybody here ever heard that phrase before? Some version of it, right, in culture. You can't hardly listen to music, movies, read a magazine, anything without that spilling onto the page in some way, shape, or form. It might be not written in those exact words, but that idea. Now, here's what I want to get you to think about. Where did that come from? Where did it originate? What popularized that phrase? So I want to take you all the way back to 1992. There was an interview between Walter Isaacson and Woody Allen. And the subject of the interview, and it was for Time Magazine, so it was a big interview, and the subject of the interview was his notorious affair, affair, Allen's notorious affair with his stepdaughter, 
He was, she was the adopted daughter of his on-again, off-again love interest with Mia Farrow, this actress model that he had been with for years that she had adopted from South Korea. And now they were getting married, okay? So there was all this controversy about it. Now, just so you understand, he was 56 years old. Soon Yi is 21, okay? And also, to be clear, he had been dating her mother for years. So he was kind of like her functional stepdad, right? And Isaacson, throughout the interview, is constantly trying to get Alan to apologize or to admit he had done something wrong, to show some remorse, to try to kind of recant this decision or explain like, hey, I was not thinking when I did this or something. He wouldn't do it, not once. As a matter of fact, at the end of the year, towards the end of the interview, he gives the classic line, what can I say? The heart wants what the heart wants. And this phrase, this is really interesting, this phrase has sort of entered the vernacular of our day into the kind of belief structures and belief systems of our day. It has kind of been used as like a get out of free jail card. It's uh, been used as a justification from everything from having an extra piece of chocolate cake to people having affairs and everything in between. It's kind of like a, a catch-all um, adoptive kind of term to just say, hey, who's to tell me if I really want it that it's wrong to have? And this idea has created all kinds of issues in our culture, but nobody seems to really remember where did it come from, what popularized it, and here it is, this story where a sister becomes a stepmom and a dad becomes a brother-in-law. And, and it's funny, even back then, no matter your politics, no matter your personal philosophy, people kind of collectively, their assessment of this situation was, that's messed up. <laughs> and hopefully, people still to this day are not really cool with that, right? But it's interesting that that philosophy has entered into our world, and it has become kind of an, um, a collective mantra of our new generation, but what Alan calls the heart right here, the New Testament writers would call that the flesh, the flesh. As a matter of fact, let me point to a passage that I think will help to unpack even the three enemies of the soul. It is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And right here, Paul begins to unpack. He says, like, let me show you who these enemies are. You need to be aware of who your enemy is. You need to be able to recognize and resist the thing that could destroy you, right? And this is really important. So let's take a look at that passage together. Ephesians chapter two, starting with verse one. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this, let's say it together, this world. Okay, so there's one of the enemies. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is another name for the devil, 
And basically, Paul is just taking this name from three different times where Jesus calls Satan or the devil. He calls him the prince of this world, the same kind of Greek idea of archon or ruler or leader, someone who has great influence over a particular area. As a matter of fact, in the Roman world, the, 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 the prince or the archon was the, one, the, the, the top guy in a particular region or city. And he's saying, listen, he has way more influence here than you people realize, right? And then he goes on to say, after this, the spirit who is now in work and those who are disobedient, again, referring back to the devil, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our, let's say it together, flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So there they are. The, the early apprentices or early followers of Jesus, this is where they got it. This is how they taught it. They called it the unholy trinity, if you will. It was the devil, the flesh, and the world. That those are the enemies of our soul. And that's what this series is all about, to unpack, to help you to see. It's important to know who your enemy is, know your enemy, and to be able to recognize and resist the places where it could sneak in and destroy you and there may be even scenarios happening right now where it is already starting to happen, unbeknownst to you, but hopefully this will pull back the veil and shed light in some places it needs to be shed light on so that you can see and you will understand this, okay? So we started this series talking about, first about the deceptiveness of the devil, that he traffics in deceptive ideas, that Jesus says that he's the father of lies, and when he speaks, he, he lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native language, he says. So this is what he does, and he's better at it than anybody. But how does that relate with the flesh? How do these two connect? I want you to be able to see that these are very interconnected. How does that relate to the flesh? Well, it's not random, first of all, that when Satan's deceptions come into our life, it is always targeted at a specific desire of the human heart that is bent in the wrong direction, that is motivated to do something that could destroy the individual. In other words, the devil's primary strategy, this is his stratagem that he comes after us with, deceitful ideas that play to misguided desires. They're not random. They are always to try to get you to do something that will move you towards destruction for you, for other people around you, even if you think, it ain't gonna hurt nobody but me. It is only me, by myself, on the computer when I do these things, or whatever it is. You think, this won't hurt anybody, this won't, that's what he's hoping you will think. But it always has a way of bleeding over and hurting others. So, how does this relate to this idea of the flesh? Let's give some definition to this word, the flesh, or the Greek word, sarx here that it, we find in verse three of um, Ephesians chapter two. Here's how it's defined in its context right here. Now let me, let me, before I dive into that, let me just say real quick, the word sarx or flesh in the New Testament actually has about three different definitions. First, it can mean just the body, the human body. It can also mean your ethnicity or your background, your heritage. And finally, it can mean sinful nature our animalistic cravings for self-gratification, 
okay? And you may be saying, well, Will, if it's got three different definitions, how do you know which definition or which way to interpret the word? It's context clues. Just like our English word, squash. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Squash could be a vegetable, right? It could be this really weird, quirky British game. Or it could be something we do to a bug, squash, right? It all depends on context, and that's exactly what we have going on here. That Paul makes it abundantly clear he's talking about this sinful nature that we all have inside of us. Nobody is exempt from this. That there are these deep, dark desires that lurk within us that we are not proud of and we're not happy with. Now, what's interesting is that we live in a day when there is constant cultural messaging that is telling us your desires are all valid. Your desires are all good and you should go after them and don't let anybody tell you any different. And if they do, man, that's like equivalent to a hate crime. They are oppressing you and you should fight back against that instead of examining the desire and see if it's any good in the first place, right? Because many of us, even in, despite the constant messaging that every desire that you entertain in your heart is good and ought to be validated, you know that's wrong. We all have desires at time that if we act on them, we are ruined. If you're married, some of the desires that come into your heart and into mine, if I act on them, I end my marriage with Leslie. You end your marriage, like you can't have it both ways, right? Some desires, if you act on them, you will physically hurt somebody, right? Can, can, we, can we get really honest? Like those are lurking inside of us. And many of us live every single day hoping and praying those don't ever come out and anybody ever finds out. And we carry with us sometimes this deep shame. And sometimes even, I have seen it in people, a self-hatred, loathing that happens over this dark side of who they are and they wish like crazy they could fix it, cure it, get rid of it somehow. This is where the New Testament is so beautifully refreshing because there is an honesty about this dark side of the human heart. And there is a pairing and a paralleling of saying, at the same time, you have a compassionate, loving, heavenly Father who is walking with you through this life, who offers a way out, who can give you a way to begin to live in true freedom from the incarceration, the slavery, the addiction, the hurt, the destruction that some of those desires will absolutely bring to your life. And this is what I want to talk about over the next few uh, minutes with you is talking about where Paul talks about the flesh with its desires and its thoughts. Let's get into that a little bit and talk about what was he talking about? That we don't live to gratify the flesh with its desires and its thoughts. Because if we're going to get free from the flesh, we need to understand some basic things about the flesh in order to be free from the flesh. So let's start with this first one. Not all desires are created equal. Okay, here's the first one. And what I mean by that is not all desires are equally beneficial in the end. If you act on them, they have different results in the end. It's, it's very much like the, uh, 
the principle of the harvest. You reap what you sow, Galatians 6 tells us, right? That there's this idea that if I sow, there are certain desires that are selfless, self-giving, self-sacrificial desires. If I act on them, they bring great peace and joy and deep love for God and for other people. We do it in the power and the spirit of God. It's amazing. But if we act on these animalistic cravings in the moment, and, and that the flesh, it could refer to uh, the earlier definition. I'll give you a little bit more. Sometimes it can refer to, like, really, uh, pleasure in general, the sensual side of who we are. It can be food. It can be sexuality. Really, pleasure in general. But also, there's this other side to the flesh that is this desire to want to dominate the desire to want to control people and circumstance. If I could just be in charge, if I could just call the shots, if I could just, then everything would be good, right? We, we're fooled into thinking that sometimes. We think, I, I, I could do this, I could do that, I could fix everything if everybody just shut up and listen to me, right? And we need to know where that's coming from. But when we listen to that animalistic side of who we are, it many times, it will drag us to a place of slavery and addiction, a life of secret fear. I don't want anybody to find out and I want to try to control this situation. And ultimately, it will begin to lead to destruction. One ugly step at a time. And that's what addiction does and that's what life given to the flesh does every single time. But here's what people... Wise, healthy people have learned, and you see this over and over, even down through history, and those who have been Christ followers from the beginning. Pleasure is not the same thing as happiness. Pleasure is about getting that hit or that experience in the moment, like feeling great right then, right? Happiness is about contentment over the long haul. These are really different things. Pleasure is about want, desire. Happiness is about freedom from want. It's, it's just getting to that place where you're like, I am good. I, I, for the first time, am beginning to understand who I am in Christ, that I don't have to have people's applause. I don't even have to have all their approval. I don't have to earn a certain dollar amount to feel okay about will. I don't have to achieve a certain thing. I don't have to... Now, I'm still going to give my effort. I'm still going to try and give my excellence to what I do, but that doesn't define me. That is not my identity. Do you see the freedom there? It's a radically different place to live your life from. You see, happiness comes as a result of disciplined desires in every area, from the way we spend our time to the way we spend our money, the way we conduct our sexuality to everything. It, it, and in other words, that happiness is a direct result or a byproduct of disciplining my desires, controlling them, where with God's help, I become the master of them rather than being the master of me. And that is a radically different way to live. But many of us live with that tug of war, pulling back and forth of this battle between the flesh and the spirit of God, back and forth. And what's refreshing is even the apostle Paul says, hey, been there, done that, 
I have felt that way too. Over in his letter to the Roman church, and in Romans chapter 7, he unpacks this tug of war that he has felt for quite some time. And he shares at the end of this chapter, we're going to look at in a minute, a secret that God has showed him that helped him have a way out. And here's what he says. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my, let's say it together, in my flesh, my, sin, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Like within Paul, I can't fix Paul. I realize that. I am sort of like helpless to these desires. They run the show around here. And I would honestly, I'd have to join. I, I don't have the, the ability within Will Lewis to control Will Lewis. I rely on God's help to be able to do that. And there's no way to, to do it without him. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. He's saying, hey, can you relate? You ever felt that tug of war inside of you? We've all felt it at times. And this is what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, I need you to, the first thing you have to understand is that not all desires are created equal and your desires need to be brought in submission to God. Then until you discipline those desires, they will try to run your life. They will try to be your functional Lord of your life and they will destroy you in the process. So here's the next thing, what we must understand to be free from our flesh. Here's the second one. The self or the flesh uh, not God has become the new authority in our culture. And this is really important to understand that this may not necessarily be true of you, but you need to understand the culture, the current of culture that you and I live in has moved in such a way that the idea of the flesh, the desire of the flesh has now become the locus of authority. It's the thing that we look to to say whether something's right or wrong. Well, do you want it? Do you desire it? Oh, well, then it must be good. In other words, the good life or how we define now happiness is getting what we want. Are you getting what you want? Oh, well, good job. You're, you're living the good life instead of realizing that the good life is becoming people who want truly good things for other people and for what God wants for you. This is a, a totally different way to live. It's radically different, but God wants to help set us free. And maybe you have seen this messaging that is sort of indoctrinating slowly people to say, no, 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 what is your desire? Give in to it. And, and it comes in a lot of different forms. Let me just give you a few of them, and I'm sure you've probably seen some of these um, throughout your just daily life. Follow your heart, right? You do you. Speak your truth, as if truth now is totally subjective. Like there is no absolute truth. There's no truth we can depend on. There's no um, arbiter of the universe morally and truth-wise that we just sort of all kind of make up our own truths, right? Your, tr your truth is gonna be different than my truth and our truths are probably gonna contradict each other. Do you see how the word truth now doesn't really mean much at all? It's lost its meaning because if something's not true, it's not true, right? And so speak your truth is sort of lost 
It's meaning. Now, this next one, of course, we've already talked about this. The heart wants what the heart wants. And here's the last one. Be true to yourself. You just be true to yourself. You know where that originally came from? I had to kind of look this up this week. It, it came from Shakespeare, by the way. Hamlet. I know I'm taking you all the way back to like ninth grade literature class, right? You're going, man, I don't hardly remember that. You, you probably don't remember, but you remember who said the line, to thine own self be true, something like that. It was Polonius, the fool. It was as if Shakespeare is saying, it is the fool who says to you, be true to yourself. Nobody, that, that's, a, that's a quick way to destroy your life. Be true to yourself. Like, which self do I be true to? Here's one thing that's really interesting that both current modern day psychologists and New Testament writers agree on this one point is that we are made up of many selves, many different desires, deep-seated desires within us. And many times these desires don't mesh. They contradict each other. Many of our desires are contradictory to each other. And so if someone says another phrase like, hey, you just be true to your heart. Well, which heart exactly am I to be true to? You know, because uh, there have been times where maybe, and you felt this too, if you trust your heart, your heart changes, doesn't it? It's fickle sometimes. Hearts can be, go up and down according to moods. And what your heart really wants this week, it's going to be different a month from now and even next week and a year from now. Oh my gosh, your heart's going to be in a completely different place, right? So it's, it's hard to answer. Like, what does your heart really want? Now, I'll just share with you one of my deep, I mean, this is deep, primal desire within me, some desires that are in contradiction with each other. On one hand, man, I would love to have the abs of CrossFit phenom Rich Froning, right? I don't know if you've ever seen his abs, but man, I don't know, probably shouldn't be talking about this in church, but wow, right? I would love to look like that. On the other hand, I would love to eat all of the desserts on the great British baking show that I watched with Leslie. <laughs> we were watching it last night, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want one of those so bad. I can do some damage at a bakery. I, I have, we, that is my weak spot. I have to be careful. I have to have like a, you know, a chaperone when I go into a bakery. Anyway, um, but as you can see, those are mutually exclusive. Can't have the abs and all the carbs and sugar at the same time. I literally can't have my cake and eat it too on this one, right? I mean, <laughs> they contradict each other 100%. And if we're honest, now this is a funny illustration, but we all have those kinds of illustrations. We all have those moments in us. I want this and I want this. I can't have them both. This is why we're warned, be careful your heart can move in a really wicked direction. It can destroy you, can mess you up. It is not a good guide for your life. It will absolutely sidetrack. Your heart has to learn discipline to what is actually true. It's so powerful when it begins to click with you. Here's the third thing I want to share with you, an understanding that we have to have about the flesh in order to be free. Our strongest desires are often not our deepest desires. Let me say it another way. What we want in the moment versus what we want ultimately. 
what we want most. What we want in the moment, many times, will actually contradict or make it harder for us, sometimes make it impossible for us to have what we want most. It makes it nearly impossible. So we sometimes will sacrifice the ultimate for the immediate, and we don't even realize we're doing it. Nobody either sees it or loves us enough to say something. But many times people live this way, and what the, the impulse of the flesh and the moment can absolutely derail, break your heart, and mess you up for years if you give in to it. Those moments, you know, when we all, we all have them sometimes, where you want to say a condescending remark at work where they can't hear, <laughs> or you see a condescending remark within your marriage. Maybe it's an impulsive buy, a purchase online. You're like, oh, I have to have one of those. Oh, I gotta get it right now, right? Or maybe it is just overeating, over drinking. Why'd you have so much to drink? It's giving in to lust. Maybe it's as simple as just continuing to binge watch some Netflix instead of praying and reading your Bible. It could be that simple. But it is the immediate impulse of the flesh that many times sabotages what we want most or what we would say, I want that the deepest. I want that the most. That is the ultimate what I hope to accomplish. But we destroy that possibility sometimes by giving in to what we want in the moment. And I want you to get, think about your deepest desire right now. What is it you want more than anything else that God has put way down in you? And you don't think about it a whole lot, but you would say, yeah. One of the best ways to get there, to try to imagine what that thing you want most is, is imagine yourself with your mind's eye, go all the way to the end of your life. Let's say you only have about an hour or two to live. You, this is the end, right? What do you want most? What do you really want in that moment? That is a really important question to ask. It isn't stuff, because your stuff's all about to belong to somebody else. It's not achievement, because all that's about to go away. What will matter most then? That is an important question to ask because my guess, my gut feeling is that for many of you, if you were really honest and we could sit across the table, just you and I, and I ask you that question, I believe it would be, my heart aches for God. I want him more than anything else. I want to be the kind of person that exudes the peace, the joy, and the love of God. I want his spirit to be alive in me. I want to become the kind of woman, the man that my mind and my body helps to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. And I am known for that. And that's what my family and my friends and people around, they know me for that. That's what I desire. But we live in a day, ladies and gentlemen, that tells us that no, you should go after your desires. But I'm telling you those desires will absolutely sabotage the deepest desires of your heart. Our, 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 our uh, culture will tell us you need to go after, you need to harness, you need to like hold those desires so precious that you need to make them the thing you live for more than anything else rather than what the apostle Paul said to do with them in Galatians 5.24. 
You know what Paul said? Crucify them. He says, to those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Why did he say that? Because he was some cantankerous old, you know, buzzard of a man that just hated having fun? Is that why he did it? No, because he knew that was the only way to get free. It is the only way to get free because if you don't put in the effort with the, the help of the Spirit of God to master those things of your flesh, they will master you and they will run your life like an iron-fisted tyrant. They will become your Lord functionally and it will destroy your life. We have to begin to ask the tough questions like, are we doing that? And are we letting the immediate sacrifice the ultimate? And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, be true to yourself is like the worst advice anybody could ever give you. And here's why. Giving into the desires of your flesh does not lead to freedom, not lead to life, but to slavery and addiction. And what is addiction? But just prolonged suicide to pleasure. That's what it is. It's just Satan working out his long play on your life. And many people live in quiet desperation, slowly destroying their lives with these little decisions to give in in the moment to their flesh. And there is freedom available, I'm telling you, through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, after he talks about this tug of war that has been happening in his heart over and over, he gives us this beautiful glimmer of hope at the end of Romans chapter 7. He ends this way. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ our Lord. He's like the same Jesus, the Lord that you turned to when you first received salvation. That grace and mercy you got from God then is still available to get you through every single day. Just like you had to repent and turn from your sin and towards Jesus so that you could receive forgiveness and that he could become the Lord of your life. Now you need to turn from the flesh and the desires of the flesh and to the Spirit of God and say, I want to live according to the Spirit. I want you to teach me, God, how to say yes to you and no to the flesh because I don't want that to be my Lord. I don't want that to run my life any longer. I want to be free. And Paul later says, for those who learn to do this, you need to understand we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We are not working unto, trying to get to victory. We're working from victory. We're already given the victory in Jesus. He has already conquered Satan. He's already conquered the flesh. He has already conquered the world. And we have to learn how to walk in that victory. We have to learn how to trust him. Let his truth become our truth. Let his freedom become our freedom. That's what he came to give. But so few Christians learn how to live in that. And I want so bad for you guys to make that critical decision to say, Jesus, help me to no longer let my flesh be my functional Lord. I want you, I'm choosing you right now to be my functional Lord of my life. 
This is the prayer of application I'm asking to pray with me. Saying, Father, show me where my flesh, my sinful nature is sabotaging my life. God will show you. Where is that happening? Where has it become all about you? Where are you being dominated by desires to just please yourself, to, to, to control, to dominate, and not to trust and lean into God's peace and joy? I surrender and crucify it to you today. God, I want it crucified. I want to start to learn how to respond to my flesh like a dead corpse. How does a corpse respond to anything? It doesn't. <laughs> it stops responding. We need to learn how to, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to learn how to turn back to God. I'm going to trust his spirit and his guidance, and I'm not going to trust in the flesh. I'm not going to let it call the shots any longer. It's possible. This is a way of life that sounds, I know it's, if you've never done this before, it sounds impossible, but it is possible. That's what the angel told Mary, right? God, with God, all things are possible. What was impossible for man with God becomes possible. And Jesus is here. He is with us. He's ready. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.